Are you looking for the perfect gift for that very special geek in your life? Well, after 10 years, we finally got around to setting up a page for Geek's Guide to the Galaxy t-shirts over at Threadless.com. Big thanks to our logo artist, Blake Reynolds, for the cool designs, and to our marketing manager, slash my girlfriend, Steph Grossman, for setting up the page and selecting the various options. There are lots of styles and colors to choose from, so collect them all over at geeksguide.threadless.com. So that's geeksguide.threadless.com. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 391 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing Final Space, a science fiction cartoon created by YouTube star Olin Rogers. And this will include spoilers for seasons one and two of the show, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Andrea Kale, making her 11th appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's the former script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and is currently a staff writer at WWE's Friday Night Smackdown. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Dave. The next up, we've got Tom Gerenser, making his 10th appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Realms of Fantasy and in books such as New Voices and Science Fiction. His nonfiction book, Think Like Google, is out now. And his short story, All Our Donkeys Were in Vain, appears in the new anthology, The Best of Galaxy's Edge, 2015 to 2017. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Glad to be back. And also joining us today is Robert Rapino, who you may remember from our panel on the Orville back in episode 288, and from our panel on Disenchantment back in episode 324. He's the author of the novels Mort, Dark, and Cul-de-Sac, and its new novel, Spark and the League of Ursus, will be out in April. So, Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so the first thing I want to mention is just, did any of you, had any of you heard of this show, Final Space, before I emailed you about it? No. Nope. No. Yeah, see, that's, that's the feeling I got. I mean, I only know about it because I came across it on iTunes, and I was kind of like, oh, what is this? And I had not heard of Owen Rogers. I gather he's reasonably well-known. Uh, you know, reasonably well-known YouTuber, but I, I, I wasn't familiar with him. And um, and I haven't really heard anyone talk about this show, so I don't know how popular it is. But they, you know, they did do two seasons of it, and it's been renewed for a third season. So um, I, I guess it must be doing all right. Um, but so, yeah, and so sort of my experience was I, I watched the first episode, and I was kind of like, eh, um, you know, I wasn't that impressed. And so I uh, I, I sort of stopped at that point. And then a couple of months went by and I was kind of like, you know, I'm always saying there should be more science fiction humor. And, uh, you know, I didn't really give this show a whole lot of uh, a chance. So I went back and I gave another chance. And actually, when I watched the first episode the second time, uh, I was like, oh, this is actually better than I remember. Um, but, um, you know, I thought the show was just sort of OK uh, for like six episodes or so. My, well, maybe I'll, I'll stop there. But that was kind of my initial impressions, like not blown away, but, um, you know, I decided to give it a chance. But so how about um, uh, Robert? What were your first impressions of Final Space? Yeah, I, uh, I I actually want to start by giving a serious compliment that might not sound that serious, but I mean it, which would be, I think I would have really loved the show if it had come out when I was much younger, like 13. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the show made me think a lot about the challenges of writing in this format. 
Um, you know, because you got it's a twenty minute twenty minute episode that's serialized story, so you got twenty minutes to get people's attention, uh, zip them along in the story, set up the next episode, and then um, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about the characters between that between there. So it made me think a lot about that. But having said all that, I I can't really recommend this one. I think it it sets up expectations that it's going to be a little more substantive than just a light breezy cartoon. Uh, you know, it even has a lot of very emotional moments that are really like beating you over the head and saying like, yes, now's the time to cry, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like some of those moments felt unearned and uh, I, I just didn't think the show lived up to those expectations. I think the main reason why it doesn't is because I think the Gary character is um, just seems incoherent to me. The show can't really decide if he's like the super sweet guy or if he's just a totally incorrigible amoral asshole in a lot of places. Uh, I have way more to say about that, but I should let the other panelists go, I think. So, Andrea, first impressions of Final Space? Uh, If I hadn't agreed to do this, I would never have finished the first season. Um, I didn't hate it. My first thing I wrote down was cute. Um, But as as Robert said, it's the the main character. It's... um, He is... The main character is supposed to be the voice of the, the, the viewer, and he was screaming half the time. As he said, incoherent, made no sense, and you didn't, uh, you, you couldn't, uh, feel for him in any way. Um, and also, just as a woman, a, a guy sending <laughs> a letter yeah. a day to a woman for five years who wants nothing to do with him. You know, that's not, I think that's like a kid's idea of romance or a, or, or a boy's idea of romance. And for a woman, that's actually stalking. Um, so right there, you sort of lost me. But, um, and I don't know, maybe if I'm getting ahead of myself, it, it, I much, I really enjoyed season two, or at least I enjoyed it much better than season one. Um, but I think the, the main problem I had with it for season one was a real lack of jokes. Like, I thought it wasn't such a bad science fiction show, but as far as jokes were, they were kind of few and far between. So that was my first impression, especially if season one was not as funny as it really should have been. So, so Andrea, so uh, Conan O'Brien is an executive producer on this show. <laughs> you have yeah. a bit of a history with Conan O'Brien. Do you have any, just any <laughs> thoughts about that? Um, It was, a, it, it seemed... It, it seems like a very Conan thing. Uh, I think this is totally my impression. I don't know. Um, because I, I did not know about this until you brought it up with me, for me, and asked me to do this. Uh, it seemed to me like he was just a, an executive producer and didn't have much of a creative input into the first season. I, I, and this is just, I don't know if this is right or not, but it seemed like he had maybe more of a creative input into the second season because the second season picked up as uh, it was a lot funnier than the second than the first season. That's that's my feeling on it. <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, yeah, let's stick with the first season for the moment. I'll just say like according to my research how this show came about is that Olin Rogers, I think years and years ago posted a thing called Gary Space on YouTube that he just did himself or with a friend or something that's very like really really low budget and just him basically doing funny voices and it's it's pretty awful actually um <laughs> but so that but that was but that, but that sort of like established the characters of Gary and and Mooncake and then uh there was something called New Form I'm not actually sure what it was but apparently they were giving sort of little grants 
to YouTube creators to uh, to kind of follow their passion projects. And he got a fifteen thousand um, dollar little grant or whatever to um, to do a, an actual pilot. Uh, but still, animation is pretty expensive, so he was only oh, yeah. able to do like a six or seven minute um, pilot. Um, and so he did that, and that, and and they posted that on YouTube, and it actually got a lot of attention, and it attracted the attention of Conoco or Conoco, Conoco, yeah, Conoco, mm-hmm. uh, which is Conan O'Brien's um, production, production company. company, yeah. And so, so he was like, "Oh, this is this is cool." And so, um, so Owen Rogers, who's I mean, he's a pretty young guy. Um, I don't know. I think he was probably in his late twenties, early thirties, or something at this time. Um, but he, uh, so he went out to to meet with Conan O'Brien. He had no, Owen had no prior experience in television, I don't think. Um, but so he kind of made some connections, and they connected him with this guy David Sachs, who has a, a you know, has had a very long career in television to you know kind of help him be showrunner. Uh, and they pitched it to a bunch of studios and they all wanted it. Uh, and TBS made the best offer and that's how it became a TV series. Um, so yeah, just a little background there. So how about Tom? Uh, what were your first impressions of Final Space? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Uh, just watching the first, like, I remember the, the very first part where you're just kind of like unclear what's going on and you know, they keep kind of showing you, uh, that he's dying and he's going to die. And I was like, oh, this is really intriguing. And then... Yeah, he's, he's the floating s- in space, right? His ship's been blown up. Yeah, and he's running out of oxygen. And there's just something's going to... There's like a bomb's going to go off or something. I'm, I'm getting the pilot confused with the show, I think. But but anyway, I thought it was really intriguing. And then um, there were... A, it was really hit and miss for me. Like, I didn't hate it like Andrea did. Well, I didn't. And, ha- oh, I didn't say I hated it. I just thought... Um... I didn't. I didn't say. I, I didn't think that Conan O'Brien was a total loser, like Andrea said. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Sorry, I could. This is where we're going tonight, huh? <laughs> no, no, I don't mean that at all. I, I just realized I'm making fun of myself because I just realized I put words in your mouth. And, so. <laughs> but uh, no, no, you didn't say that. I'm sorry. Um, so I, I guess I and I didn't. You know, I guess I didn't feel like uh, like it was a near miss. I, I, I guess I, there, it was hit and miss for me. There were times when I was like, this is awesome. And then there were times when I was like, oh, come on, what are they doing here? Like, what's go, what's the point of this episode? And they, actually, I felt like there were a lot of episodes that kind of were just there as sort of filler. But there were a lot of things that I thought really worked. I did think also, I do agree that there were times when they were like, okay, we're going to play on your heartstrings now. And I was like, oh, great. Okay, here comes the heartstrings moment. There were there were some of those that really worked, though. But then there were other ones that were obviously just, um, they were really trying a bit too hard on some of them. But, but I, yeah, I thought it was really hit and miss. And I also agree, like, if I had been younger, like, this show made me feel really old because I was like, wow, I'm, reala- I'm realizing that I'm 50 and that I don't, this is not the kind of thing that I enjoy anymore. But my 18-year-old self would have absolutely loved it like wouldn't have been questioning any of it i don't think so does uh do tom and robert do you both share andrea's negative impression of gary as a character uh from the outset from the outset yeah um i um you know i was one of the people and i guess there was a whole reddit thread about this but uh yeah. one of the people who found his uh the, his way of speaking to be tough to get through uh and i guess that's the style of speaking that Olin Rogers uses in the performances that he does. He does a lot of like spoken word kind of like wacky stories. Um, and he was using that same voice through for, to act as a character, which really 
did not make much sense to me. Um, I think as well, but a bigger issue though was um, the show clearly establishes that Gary, before he goes to prison, is a horrible human being. He he's a thief. He when he first sees Quinn, he decides he's going to uh, the Quinn is the woman he's in love with. Um, he decides he's going to impress her by stealing another astronaut's uniform. He steals that guy's uniform by beating him up and drugging him, and then tries to talk to Quinn. We later find out that Gary's actions lead to that guy's death. I'm just, that's later on in the series. And I'm just like, holy crap. Um, and I didn't feel like the show explained how he went from being like that to being what we're supposed to believe is a slightly sweeter person. I mean, there were several times in the show where the, where the other characters keep talking about how sweet and nice Gary is and mm-hmm. how, how he um, puts other people ahead of him. But mm-hmm. then we keep seeing scenes like, you know, at the end of season one, uh, the annoying robot named Kevin sacrifices his life to save the ship. And, and when Gary sees his life, his limp, lifeless body floating around in space, he's like, he thinks it's a joke. I'm like, what's going on with this show? So it's all, it's all over the place. And let me tell you, if the show had committed to one or the other, if it said like, we're going to make this guy horrible and you're just going to think it's funny, I would have, I would have respected that. Or if it made him super sweet from day one, I would have respected that. But the show is ping-ponging back and forth with this guy. So sorry, Tom, I I got a little too much there. I have to say it does actually make me laugh when he just like is really mean to Kevin though. Um, I I admit uh, that makes (laughs) me chuckle. Sometimes. that that I really liked. Yeah, I, I thought Fred Armisen. I read some stuff on Reddit that Fred Armisen was uh, was un, underused or he was wasted or something. And, and I did read the Reddit thread because they actually mention it in the first episode of season two. Gary actually says like, apparently a lot of people on Reddit hate me or, or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, oh good. So I'll go check out Reddit. So I went and read it, and it wasn't it wasn't so bad. Like it was like a lot of people were like, I can't I can't stand that main character. But there was like. I don't know, like 10 people who chimed in. So I was thinking, okay, well, there's Reddit. You always get the people who are like have enough energy and anger to go and say something. And you don't know what the rest of the people out there are thinking. But, um, but yeah, I did, I did kind of agree. I was like, ah, he's, he's too frenetic in a lot of it for me. So, so I also, but I also think, yeah, there was more of a, I think I thought there was more of a, um, a, a method to what was going on than, than Robert is saying. I was ping ponging back and forth. I didn't think he was ping-ponging, but I still thought it was wrong, like, how he, he he did seem to be very devoted to his in-crowd, like, to, uh, to, uh, what's his name, Chugity there, um, the little Uh, blob. Mooncake. 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 He seemed very devoted to Mooncake and to little Kato and to Quinn and to anybody who was in his circle except Kevin, which I thought was really funny that he hated Kevin so much. But then anybody outside of that, like whether they were a good person or not, he was just totally willing to kill them at a moment, you know, just for whatever, just like offhandedly kill people. And, uh, which kind of, if you really like took him seriously, you would be like, this guy is like Charles Manson. He's like, <laughs> loves his in crowd, in crowd and it just wants to kill everybody else or doesn't care if everybody else dies. It's a deep statement on the polarization of American politics. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Well, I'll say, I mean, because, yeah, my, my first impression, I, I agree. I, I just couldn't stand Gary at all. And the show just seemed like a um, like a copy of Futurama to me. Yep. Um, and the, you know, the um, to the extent that, I mean, Gary, the, the relationship with Gary and Quinn just yep. seems exactly like Zat Brannigan and Leela from Futurama. And then like Tribor looks kind of like Kip. 
and all the um the spaceships and everything all just kind of look like Futurama, maybe a little Star Wars mixed in there. So um yeah, so that was my big sort of initial impression was that it just wasn't um original enough. Um I guess Andrea, sounds like you were also having some Futurama flashbacks. Yeah, it was it was the same general characters as Futurama and um you know <laughs> it could have been a little more original. Um but yeah, I mean, I had the same problem everybody else had seems to have had with with Gary as as, as a character, um, just not being relatable. I can't sympathize with him. Is he crazy? Is he a jerk? Is he all of these things? And um, but as I said, that was season one. It got better in season two. But we'll get to what that. Did you, what did you think of the other characters besides? Gary. So, so, well, so, basically, so basically, let me just explain if so, people haven't seen the show. So, so Gary, it starts out and he's like on a prison ship, um, you know, serving out a sentence for destroying a bunch of ships uh, that Tom kind of mentioned a little bit. And, um, and he, he has this, uh, this robot, Kevin, who's the sort of like orb with arms, who's supposed to keep him company and keep him from going insane while he's in sort of solitary confinement, but he can't stand this robot. And then there's the ship's AI, Hugh, uh, pretty quickly, there's this anthropomorphic cat named Avocado. Uh, and then we also meet his son, Little Cotto. Um, Mooncake. And Mooncake, who's this little, like, green alien who flies around and can shoot energy beams out of his mouth. <laughs> uh, those are sort of the main characters at the, at the beginning, right? I don't yeah. know if I'm forgetting anyone. But so, so Andrea, so what did you think of those, those other characters? Um, they, they all seemed rather, you know, stock characters to me, you know, that the incredibly smart and competent woman, the goofy, uh, sidekick, the cute, fuzzy pet, so to speak. Um, you know, there was nothing, no barriers were broken with this. There was nothing very new in it to, to really hook me into it, which I think was one of the, also one of the problems with it. Um, there was, I just didn't see anything new. It was a rehash of a million different science fiction shows um, and movies that I've seen. I actually started making a list of all the movies they were pulling from. You know, this Futurama, Red Dwarf, uh, Gravity, Moon, The Martian, Suicide Squad. And I mean, and part of that is is making fun of the tropes. But also I felt like you, you it, it, they just didn't transcend the tropes. Um they just used them as jokes and didn't go farther with it in any way. Um, at least not past the way Futurama did. But Futurama is yeah. a 20 year old show. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so, so as I said, I mean, my, imp- I, I was sort of like very lukewarm on the first couple episodes. And, and I did or do remember like some of the stuff that made me laugh. Like the first thing that made me laugh, and I think it might have been a couple episodes in, but, um, it's when, um, uh, he's reunited with Quinn. And um, he's totally obsessed with her and she doesn't know his name, but she's like, oh, hi, Avocado. Hi, Frank, mm-hmm. whatever. And she knows like all the robots who all look the same and she doesn't know his name. And that was the first yeah. thing that I laughed at. Um, but so how about Robert? Um, did you uh, what did you think of the other the other characters? Yeah, I, I agree with what Andrea said. The, there wasn't too much new going on. I was I was kind of wondering what was going to happen with um, uh, Avocado and uh, and. And I was kind of like, man, they really haven't done much with him. He's just kind of gruff and he's a warrior or whatever. And then, uh, spoiler, he gets killed. And I was like, well, 
that solves that problem. <laughs> um, and the the Quinn character, I think, was probably the best opportunity for the show to do something a little original. And, um, you know, I think, and this is playing off something else Andrea said, I mean, I, I think some, quite a few viewers are going to be puzzled by the way she ends up kind of falling for Gary, which mm-hmm. which is by, I mean, there's some weird wish fulfillment going on here, but it, it's by watching those videos that he was making for her, um, which I don't think, I mean, I, I think most women who would see something like that would uh, call for a restraining order. Uh, so I thought that that was a, you know, this like that's that, true. I can, I can confirm this. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it, it, that the opportunity to do some, some other things with Quinn and maybe even show some flaws in her character. She's, a, she's a little too like perfect and too competent and too like fearless and, and just too awesome to really relate to. So, so, we, you know, when we have, um, a perfect character who ends up falling for somebody like Gary simply because she watches these weird videos, or at least that's the start of it. That, that felt like a missed opportunity to me. Yeah. How about Tom? Do you have anything you want to add about all these characters? I think there's a gap in my science fiction TV viewing. I didn't really watch much Futurama and I watched a few episodes, well, a few episodes of that and a few episodes of Red Dwarf. So probably because of that, I kind of liked the other characters a lot, especially Kevin. I thought, I thought Kevin was brilliant. I thought the way he kept just like misinterpreting every situation and being like all excited and happy that about his part and everything was, uh, it just kept cracking me up because I don't know. I don't know why, but I just love that he was, he was so out of touch with what was happening. And I, re- I don't know. I really enjoyed Fred Armisen in that role. And then, um, yeah, the other characters I, I kind of liked. I liked that Mooncake was like, yeah, he was cute and cuddly, but he could destroy the universe. I thought that was really cool. Um, I thought that was, was kind of different. And then, yeah, Avocado, he was kind of, you know, just the tough warrior guy, but his son, I thought was really a good character. I thought Little Kato was really a good character. And, um, uh, and the part where Quinn turns to like him, yeah, I, I was cringing at the part where she's like watching all the videos and deciding like, oh, he really likes me. Like I yeah I too was like that this is he he's obviously a stalker she would not like she would be like watching this and going ew but there was another part where I don't remember how what happened but I remember writing down that they actually pulled off Quinn liking him and it was because she sees him doing something and I think first she realizes that he'll he'll like just sacrifice his life to save his friends and. I, you could, they made her like eyes get bigger when she sees him doing something like that. And I was like, oh, that, that, that's kind of starting to work for me. And then there's a moment where she's, he's like saying he's going to do something and she says, idiot. But she says it in a certain tone of voice that I was like, that actually worked for me. Like the way she said idiot, I could see, see where she's like, okay, I, this guy's a complete idiot, but I'm kind of, he's kind of starting to grow on me. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I felt about the characters. Yeah. And, and so like, like, I mean, I was, you know, you know, not really at, at all impressed by the first couple episodes, but sort of like, ha- I would say halfway through season one, I started warming up to the show a little bit. I started liking the characters more and I started, I, I think, I think the show is reasonably funny. The, um, you know, the, the, the interplay between the characters. And I mean, you, for, to my mind, you just can't go wrong with, uh, people being exasperated by and mean to robots. That's a very, uh, 
Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy sort of thing. But uh, yeah, just, just when he's, as I said, just when he's just like, like Kevin is trying to be so helpful, but he's so annoying. And Gary's just like, ah, oh, I hate you, Kevin. Like that, <laughs> that just makes me laugh. Um, yeah. and, and, and so, yeah. So does anyone else think that it got, did the humor start working better for anyone else as season one went on? I, I jotted down a note here, episode four, uh, funnier and better, that it started to get funnier. The humor started kind of working for me around then. Um, and then, yeah, I did feel that there were, there were episodes that I was like, this is absolutely hilarious. And then there were other episodes. It was, it didn't really kind of build for me throughout season one. It kind of was like, oh, this episode's funny. And then the next episode, like, no, no, this is completely dropping the ball. I'm not sure if it was like a different writer in charge of this one or what happened. Do you remember anything, Tom, that you thought was fun? That you're like, oh, that works for me. Uh, I just thought a lot, like you said, Kevin, and I thought a lot of the, um, a lot, a lot of the interplay with between the characters. I'm, I'm trying to see in my notes if there were some quotes that I jotted down. But how about if I, uh, I'm just going to comment real quickly that I found this note I put. I said this is this show is a good gauge to show me that I'm turning into my father because uh because I vividly remember watching Monty Python for the first time when I was a kid and then I could not wait to show it to him and I watched it in front of him like 3 weeks later and I was like looking over at him and he just his his only reaction was stupid <laughs> and, uh, and I was so crestfallen I was like oh no my dad how can he not think this is funny and then there was a lot of this show that I was like this is stupid and then I thought no 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 my younger self would be looking at me going you're turning into your father, mm. but um, but I'll uh, if you want to skip to other people, I'll look for a couple of quotes. Uh, oh no, here we go. I found one. So episode six of was it season two? I I like that. Uh, oh yeah, see, I didn't, but I didn't put the context. There's a there's a there's a line here. It's all right. You're new. And I don't I apologize. <laughs> I don't remember what the context was. For the arachnitex. Oh, that's oh, yeah. right. It was the Arachnitex. You're right. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, one of them, like, makes some, some idiotic comment, and, and he's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. The other one's like, it's all right. You're new. It's all that, right, that Jeff, struck me as new. funny that Yeah, that struck me as funny that these, like, immortal beings who are, like, in charge of weaving the fabric of reality, like, one of them could be new. Like, I thought that was pretty funny. Well, yeah, and one of them, I mean, the leader has, like, maybe a British accent, but at any rate, a very portentous voice. And then there's this other guy who sounds, like, very much more, you know, vernacular yeah. and yeah. Uh, and that's pretty fun like when that that sort of juxtaposition I, I did i did think that was pretty funny yeah yeah me too um but actually tom when you mentioned the different writers i have a note about that because i listened to an interview with owen rogers and this is him talking about season one he says with the first batch of writers we got i knew what the show was and i had to explain what the show was to them and i tried i bought movies like sunshine and moon and interstellar and mm -hmm. the new star trek stuff and i was like watch this this is what i want it to be like and the scripts that would come back would be very futurama very rick and morty and that's because mm -hmm. that's the hot thing in hollywood a lot of hollywood writers kind of write the same in a weird way um mm, that's so true so so yeah so it is yeah I, I I think they did have different writers doing different um, episodes and stuff and yeah um and you can see like I think Andrea you mentioned some of those you know uh, references to like Moon yep yep um but so but so yeah so 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 I guess Tom and I started liking the show better as as season one went on I guess I'll say about the humor also um I thought it it started out very bland and very safe. 
And so some of the stuff that started happening, like when Gary's wearing the skin of this alien <laughs> and then yeah. meets the alien's family and they're all like, mom, you're, you're alive. We thought you were dead. And, yeah. um, and then also like when Gary and little Kato were like peeing all over the ship to mark their territory, like I didn't think that was actually funny, but it was at least not as bland as the stuff had been up till then. And I yeah, started yeah. like getting these little peaks of like, oh, this show is like starting to try to establish its own voice and be a little bit different and not just be Futurama or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and I love the, um, there was, you just made me think of another moment where, uh, Gary and little Kato like jump or Gary and avocado, I guess jump. They're like, Hey, let's jump for the catwalk. And they like jump off the edge of this thing. And they're like, they're going to do the thing that they always do in action movies, which is like jump into space and like land on this one skinny catwalk. And then they miss it, and then they just keep falling, and they're like, that didn't work out at all. I, I loved that moment. And then they finally do land on a catwalk, but they're going so fast by then that they just punch straight through it. Yeah. So so how about Robert? Did uh, did any of the humor start working for you as season one went on? Uh, I I really couldn't get into the humor. I feel bad saying that. I think I, I might be dead inside. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I think for me, you know, first of all, um, the – there was a lot of humor centered around butts. I think I started noting how many times we heard butt cheeks, buttholes, poop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that, that's got old for me. The other thing was, and this, I think this travels into, or this carries into uh, season two, which is a lot of the humor was usually based around like one of two scenarios. Either Gary explains something to the crew and one of them or more of them don't get it. And then it leads to some sort of awkwardness or confusion or he meets an, meets an alien and they have some kind of initial misunderstanding. And then that leads to an awkward conversation that gets drawn out. Usually it ends with, you know, Gary being like, wait, what? Why would you say that? Um, you know, that, I think that was used too many times. Um, and it made it, that, that just started, I started noticing that over and over and over again. And it, it just, I couldn't get into it. I mean, really for me, I was more invested in the, the actual narrative arc, which I think once we got closer to the end of the first season, like I, I, be, I got to be more invested in that, so I didn't really mind that the humor wasn't working for me as much. I thought that that would that was like a lower priority for me at that point, anyway. So, you know. Well, well, so so Robert, I mean, you were previously on our panels on the Orville and Disenchantment, and those like had, to my mind, way more moments where I was just like grimacing at the jokes falling flat and just feeling embarrassed for the writers and stuff, uh, like way more than with this show. Um, do you agree with that, or did you think this was sort of on par with with those shows? Actually, I'll say I'll say I thought the Orville got better as it went along, but you sort of in the first episode or two, I was just kind of like, Ugh. yeah. I would say if I were ranking them, I would probably say Orville. Yeah, definitely got funnier as it went along. Uh, this one, uh, I I would I would rank it alongside Disenchantment in terms of how often I laughed. Um, there were a lot of times where I I think just. Because I was I was preparing for your show, I w- I would sometimes say, "Huh, that's funny," and then I'd wait, and then I'd say, "Wait, wait, wait I didn't actually laugh there, so was it funny? I don't know." <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think I, I would still rank it alongside Disenchantment in terms of like maybe not as much cringeworthy stuff, but but I just some of the jokes just fell flat, and then I know we're going to get into season two later, but I thought that 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 season even more so than the first had some some of this more like manufactured awkwardness that took the place of actual jokes. So, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, let's let's get to that in a little bit. But yeah. I, I also wanted to ask you, Robert. I mean, you wrote this um this tril this post apocalyptic trilogy with anthropomorphic animals, including at least one cat who's the hero, right? Yeah. So what did you think of as a uh sort of an expert on anthropomorphic uh <laughs> cats, what did you think of uh, avocado <laughs> and little cato? Actually, they have some similarities to what I've written, and so I was, you know, I was looking forward to seeing more stuff from them. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I was, I was kind of, I wanted them to do more stuff. I actually was thinking Quinn was going to fall in love with Avocado, because uh, that seems to be a better pair right there, right? Um, and I've also, I've, I've written about like interspecies love, so I felt like that. I was really like, oh, maybe we're going to go there, maybe Gary's going to get jealous, but then uh, Avocado gets blown up. Um, I actually, I had a bigger issue with Kato's character in season two. I think they had a really cool idea, but maybe we should save that for season two. Yeah. Well, let's yeah, say, I right. mean, I, I, do you think that they should have, the, the fact that they were cats seemed to not play any role really at all. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. the peeing to mark your territory, actually, is that, I don't know if that's something cats do or not, but, uh, that is something cats do. There was nothing else, um, cat, you know, they could have like. just been, any, like anything other than a cat, and it wouldn't have made any difference, right? I would, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I feel like they should have, like, I don't know, been licking themselves or coughing up hairballs or. There was a hairball on, joke at one point, but was uh, there? Yeah, on, but it wasn't up like... on cabinets or something. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but so Andrew, do you have anything else you want to add uh, about what yeah. we've been saying? Well, as far as the humor goes, um, especially for season one, I, you know, I'm wrote down for each episode like a joke if there was a joke that I thought was good um and it you know it was few and far between one joke in episode 2 there's a episode 6 where they they fly down to like a planet and there's music like heavy metal music playing over it and uh you think it's just like a soundtrack but then one of them like avocado says oh I can't hear you over the music which was a you know very a good joke um uh, and then in episode 10, there's one of the robots comes and says, uh, something to little Kato about, uh, him not dying like his father. And then he goes, Oh, was that insensitive? I'm sorry. Like those are, <laughs> those are the things I'm looking for as, as far as jokes are, you know, as far as jokes hitting in season one, that was it. Um, and then in season episode eight, there was one thing with this whole extended mustache thing, um, mustache Gary. Like it went on and on and on. I'm like, what is going on? Like that was where they, that's the sort of thing where they were going for weirdness and it just gets bogged down in what the hell is going on. Um, so, you know, like actual good jokes that hit were very few and far between. And I think as Robert said, I, at that point in season one was really more invested in the, um, in the story arc, in the plot, in the actual plot than actually watching it as a comedy. Like, it, it would actually played out better as a, as a science fiction adventure show than as a comedy, um, for season one. Um, if we're going to get into season two, that's when I have even more opinions about the comedy. Cause it actually, to me, got a lot better. Um, yeah. Well, much actually, better. Since, since you mentioned the music though, I, 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 I want to ask you, I mean, I, I thought the music and the visuals in the show were pretty cool. I think they were um, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. The music was great. The use of music was great. And the, the animation was fantastic. Um, it really hit on all the tropes of like somewhat, uh, you know, sappy science fiction, uh, shows, 
you know, using music to uh, manipulate feelings and, and emotions, um, sort of winking at you and also doing it, genuinely doing it uh, at the same time. So they were like, it, it was it was really well done. Yeah. So, so like I said, I mean, um, I don't usually love gross sort of gross out humor, but the um, when 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 I'm when there was the gross stuff like wearing the alien skin or peeing all over the ship, like. You know, as I said, I sort of took that as a, an encouraging sign that the show was at least taking some risks. Um, but then the thing that started really working for me, I thought, was when they introduced the the Titans and this mm -hmm. kind of horror element. Um, it's almost like this Lovecraftian element where you have these giant monsters in space and they're like trapped in other dimensions trying to break through and all that. I, I thought that worked really well. And, and that felt fresher to me. You know, that didn't feel like Futurama or like whatever, you know. Um, and you had this guy, I don't even remember now what the situation was, but you had this, this guy who sort of has these eyeballs floating around his head. I thought that oh, yeah. was pretty cool. Council of the 12. Yeah. So, um, yes. So, so actually I, I thought that the, the more horror, uh, elements, uh, actually was sort of, I, I think sort of what got me to keep watching this show. I, I think if the Titans hadn't been introduced, I think I might've given up in season one, but that sort of pushed me into season two. Um, does it, does everyone agree that the horror giant monsters in space stuff? Oh, I thought that cool? was fantastic. Yeah, same here. Yeah. And the animation was real. They're beautiful to look at. Like the animation's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, Bolo is really cool. Really fun to look at. It was funny because Bolo, I mean, he, every time he talked, I was like, God, I know this voice. Like who, where do I know this voice from? Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't until, you know, he comes back toward the end of season two and finally I was like, all right, I gotta, I, this is bugging me. I gotta look up who this is. And I was like, oh, it's, so it's Keith David. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I mean, so, so I get uh, the voice acting, I think is great. I mean, to give the, you know, to give the show credit, I mean, there's a, like a lot of the like technical aspects are really, really well done. Yeah. Um, I mean, Andrew, do you have anything else you want to say about the voice cast? Because um, there's a well, shock, shockingly shocking number of big names. Yes, uh, huge. To this show. Uh, that's the first thing I did was open up IMDb to see who was uh, doing all the voices. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it, it, they got they got an amazing cast. I mean, you know, um, Fred Armisen, Tom Kenny. Um, who else do they have here? David Tennant. David Tennant. <laughs> Yeah, which, oh my God. which I that was the one that I kind of was like not as psyched about because I you know having watched Good Omens and I was like okay I know who this guy is then this one I thought he just to have him do this like little kind of shrimp voice was kind of um I kind of wish like they had had him because the the what's the Lord Commander or whatever he he's his whole thing is that he's kind of got what they call little man's disease he's like a little mm -hmm. little person who has all this power and he's angry all the time. But I thought it would have been kind of cool if they would have kept all that, but given let him have like let David Tennant do his thing with uh, with that voice and give it kind of like a really rich, uh, kind of a richer voice. Yeah, Anybody I think I, I I might I might agree with that because it was very there wasn't anything spectacular to it. Like it wasn't D David Tennanty, shall we say? Yeah. But they did also have Ron Perlman as as the father. Yeah, that was cool. But but yeah, just when I went, because I, like, like I said, I didn't look at the cast until pretty much I was done watching the two seasons. And I was like, how did they get all these people to do this show? Like, 
I guess Konik does Konico have a lot of connections or something? I guess, but okay. yeah, I just couldn't believe how uh, how 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 many big names there were in the cast. Um, Conan knows all those people. I'm sure he knows Fred Armisen. I'm sure he called people himself. I'm just speculating. I'm sure he knows Fred Armisen and Tom Kenny. Um, and connections to everybody else. You know, he's been he's been doing this for like 30 years, so <laughs> I'm sure he knows everyone. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, any other uh, final thoughts about season one before we move on? Mm. Nope. Yeah. Okay. All right. Season two. Um, so, um, it, as season two opens, we get a new ship, right? Sort of like it's like the um, Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. but missing like half of the front. Um, and then we get three new characters uh, or three new crew members. Uh, so there's Clarence, who's this kind of like sleazy con artist, alien worm guy. Um, and then he has two children, presumably adopted. I don't know if they ever explain that. Uh, Ash and Fox. And Ash is sort of like a, uh, basically like a X-Men style yeah, superhero. Yeah, she's a Scarlet Witch kind of. Um, yeah. And then um, Fox is this hulking guy with a sort of chain gun arm, and he's a sort of classic, um, you know, giant with a heart, you know, giant with a sensitive soul uh, kind of character. Uh, so, um, Tom, what did you think of the of the new crew members? Yeah, I really liked Ash. Um, Fox was cool. I thought he, I thought they were kind of both kind of cool. Like I, I did think they mentioned at one point that they were adopted. Um, that he that he like bought him and turned him into his kids. It was kind of, it was kind of like a Thanos thing, I think, with Gamora and, uh, and Nebula. But but I um, but I did yeah, I did really like her. I I thought she had some cool things about her character. How she was like, this was a little bit. They could have kind of done something a little bit different with it. It was a little bit maybe sexist or cheesy when she was like got angry about the prom all the time and then the way he would trigger her is by just mentioning the prom like they could have changed that from prom into something else maybe but it was it was kind of clever how he had this thing that he figured out about her that if he said it she would like launch into her power and uh I kind of like that and I liked her power too and I liked how they kept revealing little things about her like she had her hair over her face and I think it was uh What's his name? The guy Tribor comes in. And he's like, oh, or somebody comes in. And is like, oh, we're gonna it's fix the mother. This. Oh, is it the mother? We're gonna fix the this hair, and she moves the hair out of the way, and there's like <laughs> no eye there. And she's like, okay, <laughs> we'll just put that back right where it was. Um, uh, so I really liked that, and I liked that she had this like, why do I have this power? She kind of had a lot of angst about her, and then at a crucial moment near the end, we're allowed to do spoilers, right? Yeah, where 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 Quinn gets killed, and then uh, she remembers Quinn telling her like, "Well, maybe you'll figure out later why you have that power." And then she hears that voice echoing her in her head, and then she realizes that she has that power to uh, to get the the possession, the possessed uh, uh, Titan out of Avocado. So I, I thought I don't know her character to me was really intriguing. I liked her. I liked how she. She was always so like self-conscious about like how she would like light up with all this power and like raise off the ground and start screaming and all the, the flames would come out. I liked how she was like kind of like felt awkward about that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just re- I really dug her character. I thought, you know, I thought Fox was okay. He was kind of cool, but I I really liked her. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, as I'm thinking about it, she's kind of more, I guess, like um, the Incredible Hulk meets Dark Phoenix, right? Who did you say? Which yeah. superhero, Andrea, did you say? Scarlet Witch, I thought. Scarlet Witch, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but basically, like, you know, she gets... But, yeah, Dark Phoenix You know, awesome. she gets her power by being angry. Yeah. Um, um, and so how about Robert? What do you think of the, of those characters? Yeah, I was I was intrigued. I, this uh, situation, which which starts season two, reminded me a little bit of uh, the opening episodes of Star Trek Voyager, where you had two crews sharing the same ship, um, mm-hmm. and crews that were kind of diametrically opposed to each other. So I, I was definitely intrigued. I think the I, I really would have welcomed an episode that was just about uh this twisted family that we're describing uh because the the resentment toward Clarence but also the the attachment to him was intriguing to me um and uh, you know very often in a bunch of the episodes um what the family was doing sort of just became like a subplot like for example there's that episode late in season 2 where um the I think Clarence has this crazy scheme to marry the queen of some mm-hmm. some country and the other the the two his two children his two adopted children try to help him but that really felt like a a subplot that went nowhere and then got resolved yeah. quickly with no with no real payoff and no connection to the relationship between the characters so i i think the show could have used an episode that was just with them and talking about their background talking about you know their weird relationship and i think uh I I really like the fact that somebody finally stood up to Clarence, but the fact that it ended up being Gary and not Fox and Ash didn't feel right to me. I thought the the kids should have stood up to him, not not Gary. At the end, yeah, I I agree about that Queen episode. I felt like that was just kind of filler or just there to kill time. Yeah, they they added two uh, three extra episodes for season two, which I thought was a little much. Like they they were stretching it. It felt to me. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was because they moved to uh, Adult Swim, or is it always Adult Swim? Or no, it started on TBS, and I think right. they moved to Adult Swim. I'm a little yeah. vague on that, but I think it's something like that. Yeah, um, it should have stayed at ten. Um, but uh, I, my feelings that for the characters is that I liked Clarence a lot. I think a lot of the real humor came from that character. Um, but I just thought there were so many characters in season two. Like, there's like eight or nine characters. It's like crazy. It was so disparate. Um, and, and those, you know, subplots that they did, like the one with the marrying the queen, um, the one where they, uh, the, the guy tries to hijack the ship and to go to his wedding. Like, it, they're out of the blue and they're stupid, but it, but it, it, it gives you that, that stupid humor that was missing. That I think from season one, personally, I felt, um, cause you, Dave, you kept mentioning, uh, the pissing scene. Um, that was episode two of season two. I'm a little I, obsessed. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know why. Um, but what I wrote, when I was watching that, I wrote pissing period. So fucking stupid. <laughs> um, but I was laughing. Yeah. Like I, I was finally like, or at least they're doing something like really over the top stupid. Um, but the best part of that episode was the dancing when when they he puts him into the dream sequence where he's you know he's in the uh the the happy part of his life where you know you know what I'm talking about yeah he's like yeah, the dance yeah. off with the yeah and he does the dance off I was flat out outright laughing laughing out loud at all of that cookie wife cookie kids I thought that was all really funny like this is that's where it started to actually be a comedy show for me um 
that's where the comedy really started to go out, come out. And uh, from there on, there are several places uh, through season two that I just outright laughed out loud. Um, yeah, no, I, I think this show gets funnier and better as it goes. I mean, and it, it never becomes amazing to me, but I was no, I was pretty yeah. into it, um, you know, by the end. I, I really like Clarence. He reminds me kind of of uh, Rigel from um, Farscape. The sort of like sleazy scheming alien, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I like him a lot. I, I kind of felt like Ash and Fox, they were okay, but I felt like they didn't really have much to do, um, in the show. I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. they'll give them more to do in season three, but they felt pretty superfluous, um, so I, far. Yeah, Although, I agree with that. I'll have to say, like, probably the part I laughed the most at was the part where, um, uh, Gary says, we're going after little Kato. And um, Fox says, we're going to bring him back dead or alive. And Gary <laughs> says, no, 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 not dead. Just just alive, only alive. And, the, and he's like, okay, alive. And he's like, no, no, I, I mean it, alive. Yeah. And he's he like, are you, are you winking at me? And he's like, no. And he's like, you're winking. He's like, no, if anyone here is winking, it's you. Like, I was just dying laughing at that, that whole part. Yeah. And then he finally gets it across from him and he goes, oh, you really mean alive? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, oh, that was a close one. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of really good. I my, I have just had to bring up the the best line in the whole series, <laughs> episode three, season two, the very yes. end, where they uh they drop the guy who tries to go to his wedding and they drop him out of the ship and he dies in front of his wife. Yeah. And then and then uh, I think it's Clarence throws some rice out and he goes rice. Now the birds will also die. And then they yeah. cut right to commercial. It's like, no, that was that was Kevin, was it wasn't it? Was it Kevin? Now the <laughs> birds will also die. Yes. Like <laughs> <laughs> like, and then they did a, a Kenny Loggins uh, dance sequence in episode four. So you you win me right there. Yeah, yeah so, that one that that one kind of struck me as a little too Star Lordy, but. Uh, but I, I did I totally agree with you about episode three. I thought that that was one of my favorite episodes. It was very funny, and I let, there was like a line in there. Well, I didn't mean parent killer in a judgmental way. <laughs> uh, and then and then Hugh is in his like the AI is in this like inept body, and he can't throw darts. So he's like he's like in his own room by himself trying to throw darts, but he can't because he's too weak. So he just like gets really close to the dartboard and puts him in the dartboard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I have to say, like, Hugh in his, like, crappy body, and then his um, his sort of passive-aggressive relationship with Ava, who's the better um, yeah. new new ship's AI, that was, yeah. that was, that really worked for me. I, I thought that was really funny. Who is, so, uh, who is, who is Jane Lynch, by the way? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah she was great. So, so, so Robert, did, did anything in season two manage to melt your cold heart here? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think the sa it's the same situation as before is where, I was more invested in the story than than the humor. So, I mean, I think the last two episodes of season two are really good, and not just uh, not, well, they're they're pretty good, and not just relatively speaking compared to the rest of the to the series. I thought because that's where they finally pick the the narrative back up. I felt, and they they kind of move past some of these episodes that felt a little too filler, a little too info dumpy to me. Um, but yeah, as far as the humor, I really. Uh, I, I struggle with a lot of, I actually was a little, I, the, the scene where they, they kill this guy in front of his wife, uh, by dumping him out of the thing, I was actually a little like horrified by it, I have to admit. <laughs> but I get, I get the humor, I, you know, it, it just, it was a little shocking to me, cause, uh, I think at that point I was still wondering, you know, like, like, cause I think the person who was the most invested in that character was Fox, 
and he was like crying about the guy getting his wedding and then the guy dies right in front of him and fox is what didn't seem that phased by it so i'm like so what's fox's deal i don't know um yeah i guess yeah the humor still was tough for me to break through um i think uh you know a lot of the humor in this this season is dedicated to tribor's character which i he was kind of hit or miss for me um so tribor has this thing where he he it's sort of like can someone just like what is what is tribor like what i don't i don't get that character at all i mean he's sometimes funny but like his name is his name is Tribor because he tries to bore you, but he can't. But he just is can't. it like is that a is he is he a parody of somebody or I, I he seems really really strange to me. I don't know if he's a parody. I think he's kind of an original character. He's like he starts out just being this kind of throwaway character who's just kind of inept, and then it turns out he's the leader of this underground resistance, and he's got six eyes, and he and he and he's really interested in fashion. Like that's all. Like if he's got like a scarf, that's like a really good scarf. That's all he cares about. And they they, they go a little too far with him. Like some of the stuff they do is kind of surreal, but uh, but I th- I think he's just kind of original. It was interesting actually because it's sort of like you know we we mentioned Gary starts out being incredibly annoying. And they kind of like take a lot of his most annoying things and sort of transfer them off onto other characters as yeah. they get introduced, so that by the end he's like become basically the straight man. Yep. Um, and then Tribor's got a lot of like the things that were so annoying about Gary to begin with, although it's it's, yeah. it's less insufferable because he's not the main character. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt about the 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 overriding um, difference <clears throat> with season two is that Gary completely changed. Gary is now the actual protagonist and and is a hero as opposed to the crazy person he was in the first season. Um, so they changed that up and I think it made it better because now I have somebody I care about. Um, and as you said, they, they take all these crazy things and offload them onto other characters, including Tribor, who most of the show, I'm just like, who the hell is this? Like, why is this person here? Um, Actually, what he reminded me of a little is um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Who are the 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 people that he's uh, who raised him? What was the uh, the uh, the bounty hunters who raised him? Oh yeah. Um, you're you're asking the name of the yeah yeah race. Yeah, yeah, well, the, the the what they're called or something. I could Ravagers. Yeah. No, not Ravagers. Oh, the Ravagers. Yeah, the Ravagers. Is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what he reminded me of. A little bit, because he shows up at the last minute with uh, the whole bunch of you know ships. But so, so Robert, you mentioned that you liked the you know that the story was working better for you than the humor. Um, so why don't we talk about that and what worked for you? I mean, I didn't love the um, collecting the keys thing. That seems kind of like lazy storytelling yeah. to me. Um, but so, um, but so, why don't you talk about what did you like about the? What kind of what story beats kind of worked for you in season two? Yeah, uh, let me just emphasize: I'm talking specifically about those last two episodes. The ones before that, I think, really didn't pay off for me. Like a lot of you know, there was a villain that they introduced named Todd H. Watson, whose episodes <laughs> are really just info dump episodes. You know, they're, the the characters learn something and the episode ends. That's it. Um, but I thought that the last two episodes at least had. Um, you know, they had these action sequences where the characters were actually doing things that were consistent with their character arc and that, you know, had real significance to them. They weren't just for laughs. They actually had something to do with the plot. 
So I think that's what I'm complimenting mainly. I thought that, you know, at, at, by episode 13, you had like, um, you know, Kevin trying to sacrifice himself. You had Hugh, uh, and Ava working together, uh, after they had consummated their relationship finally, after so much sexual tension. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you had other characters who were, who were just doing things that seemed to fit with their, with their character arc. Um, so I, I just, you know, Andrea mentioned how the the season was way too long. I think that they had condensed it, lost some of those filler episodes, and just had episodes like the last two. I think it would have had a better uh, impression for me. I think. What did you think of Gary's mom? Because she's a pretty big part of the plot as it develops. I mean, I applaud the fact that they they have characters who have competing um, priorities. Like we know what her priority is, although. <laughs> Hers is nowhere near as sympathetic as as Gary's. Um, it it didn't didn't totally work for me. Um, well, she's trying to bring her husband back to life, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's fairly sympathetic, isn't it? Yeah, but I it, okay. This is tough for me to explain because it it seemed to bounce all over the place for me. But um, she she starts off by being a spy who's spying on him. She falls in love with him. The way that they break up made it feel like things were over, but then she regrets it and then tries to bring things back. Is that is that a, is that a good summary of what happened? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's about right, yeah. Yeah. Um I was fine with it. I thought that she was a little t- she was like invincible, so like she she was just this this plot device that kept getting dropped into the episodes where it's like out of nowhere, Cheryl appears and she's, she's infiltrated the ship and she's stolen all the keys again. You know what I mean? Like, like she was almost too like awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, that's sort of like the same thing with Quinn, right? It's like, they can't have female characters that aren't totally badass and awesome. Right. Am yeah. I forgetting anyone? Yeah. I mean, no, uh-huh. Yeah, and and look, it's cool that they have people doing that because yeah, the 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 character, yeah, sometimes those characters like they need some more like flaws and so forth, you know, weaknesses. Well, it's not that she didn't have flaws. I mean, she was pretty flawed. She was like you know, totally irresponsible. Um, you know, fell in love with fell in love with Gary's dad, and then had a kid with him. It fell in love with him out of, you know, started out spying on him, fell in love with him, had a kid with him, and then hated the kid because the dad was dead and wanted to bring the dad back. And so treated the kid like garbage and abandoned the kid and was basically crawled inside of a bottle. So, and then was, uh, you know, I think she was fairly flawed, but I guess you're, you're saying she wasn't flawed in the fact that whatever she wanted to do, she could just do because she was so strong and badass. Yeah, I get that. That's part of it. Yeah, but you're you're totally right. Yeah, she's definitely she's flawed in the sense that um, it, the show makes it quite clear that she just has zero feelings feelings for Gary. Um, yeah, that made some of the interaction between them a little unclear to me because like Gary barely knows her. She makes it quite clear that she's ready to kill him and and let Quinn die. Uh, so some of the scenes where they're like possibly going to reconcile, I'm like just shoot her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and there's this whole thing where you know he's like. You know, you're my mom. Doesn't that mean anything to you? And yeah, it, that didn't really work for me at all because, yeah, like, there's just no, like, there, there's no reason for me to care about their mother or son relationship, relationship at all. 
Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the relationship was, uh, they kept acting like because she was the biological mom that she would, she really did have some kind of, it was like a Darth Vader thing. Like, there's good in you. I can feel the good in you. But you could, you could kind of tell from having watched all of it that that just wasn't there. So the, so the argument really was kind of one-sided. And the other, the other thing that was confusing for me was, I'm still not entirely sure what the, what Gary's crew is, is, is actually attempting to do. Like, are they attempting to actually reverse the events of season one, which is where the earth gets destroyed and all this other stuff? Or are they just trying to save Quinn? Yeah, they're just trying to save Quinn. That's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. what kind of strikes me about the, um, you know, I was talking earlier about how like Gary, it's not that he bounces back and forth. It's just that he cares about the people he cares about, which there's like six of them. And then everybody else, if they die, like if the whole universe dies, he's like, well, as long as my friends are okay, everything's fine, which, which makes him kind of a, you know, a kind of a limited range psychopath or something like that. So, so yeah, the fact that he has this ability to go back in time and change things or, or like, I don't know if it was back in time so much as like go to final space or whatever, but the, the only thing he's concerned with saving is Quinn and then everybody else who died, the whole planet Earth, he's just like, yeah, whatever. That's too bad. That well, sucks that that happened. It, it, that gets even weirder because, you know, if, if again, they're just trying to save Quinn and not necessarily trying to, to, you know, reverse what happened before, that means that when, and sorry, spoiler coming up, but when Nightfall decides to sacrifice herself, uh, that 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 decision is is not really doesn't really sit right with me because like you know if she's sacrificing herself to save all the people on earth good for her that's awesome that's a cool moment but she's sacrificing herself so that Gary can be back together with the other Quinn <laughs> I don't know, it seemed weird to me right i mean it's like her her purpose in the show is to make Gary happy uh, well i i kind of got that part because i felt like she really cared about Gary like she was the one person in the show who I felt like I could really feel that she cared about Gary and she wanted to be with him. She wanted a relationship with him. And he was like, oh, this is all I've ever wanted. But then he's like, but you're not the same Quinn. I want that Quinn. And then she kind of got it. And she was like, okay, well, I do want you to be happy. And I think she really, really did. It felt to me like she, like what she did there was kind of pure, even though, yeah, it would be better to sacrifice herself to do more than save that. But I want to get Andrea back in here. Andrea, Mm -hmm. do you have anything you want to add to what we've been saying? Um, just, I'm just thinking about what, uh, Robert was just saying. Actually, it didn't strike me. That sacrifice at the end struck me more. Well, half as a sacrifice, but also as a, I'm not going to get what I want. So I want some, I want the other version of me to get it. And there's no reason for me to stick around. So I might as well leave. It was, it was kind of like a, not a sacrifice, but also a suicide. Personally, that's how it felt to me, but maybe I'm just getting overly romantic about it. <laughs> in a, romantic in a in a 19th century um, novel kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me say too. I mean, I think that one of the things when Tom was talking, I, mean, I think one of the things that's weird about the dynamic here is that Gary is. It's basically like the plot is about this guy who like will do anything to rescue the woman he loves. But then the humor is like, isn't it funny when people act like sociopathic assholes? And <laughs> like those two things just don't go together at all. And, right, and right. most sort of, you know, pointedly in the case of Gary, where it's like, you're like, who is this guy? Because he has no consistent character because like the jokes are sort of like grafted on to him in a way that doesn't fit his character at all. Like, you know, it would be 
one thing if the jokes were all about like he's so idealistic and romantic and the universe just keeps like not living up to his expectations of how life should go or something like that would be funny and it would be consistent with his character but if he's just like ah fuck this alien i'm gonna kill him like it doesn't yeah just it's all like sort of a weird mishmash of conflicting character traits yeah that's a really good point i also was there an option of being able to reverse what happened and save the earth because because the whole thing with time travel is if and this was brought up by that weird character that looked like jar jar binks that pops up when they go back in time um if you mess up the timeline it ruins it ruins things so you can't so it wasn't so much as fixing time to save Quinn, it was going into final space in order to save her yeah. as opposed to going back in time to save her. So I don't know that, that saving the earth and fixing what he did was actually an option. Yeah, that's a good point that, that I'd have to watch it again, but I think you, I think you're probably right. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's an option if, to save the earth. Like the earth is gone. So. Yeah. But I think it says something that after watching 23 episodes of this show, we're kind of like vague on whether, on like, what are they even trying to accomplish? Yes. Like, yeah, something's yeah. not I agree. Being communicated clearly enough here. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of inconsistencies and stuff that I very, very actively in my head went, I have no idea what's going on here, but I'm just not even going to go back and try to figure it out. Um, which I don't know. Is that a successful uh, show or is that mm-hmm. a, or failure. I can't tell. I continued watching. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I think one of the big problems with the show is the lack of world building. I mean, there's essentially zero world building in the yeah. show. You know, it's like every all the background is just filled in with Star Wars, basically, or like whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, like, and you you know, you contrast. I was contrasting that with um, Futurama, right? Where like that, you know, Fry goes into the future, and there's like suicide booths and. Uh, like robot Nixon is president and people they call Christmas Xmas and they're like Christmas what's that you mean Xmas like there's like there's like this even if it's goofy and like everything it's 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 there's the, there's this sense that that this is a world that exists and kind of makes sense and is consistent at some level yeah. and yeah and in, in and if there's if I have like one big problem with this show it's 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 that the like the background just feels totally like you know, like a lot of shows that have like the Bible, you know, where it's like, this mm-hmm. is the Bible for our show. Like, and yeah. I feel like there's no Bible. Like, I can't imagine there's a Bible for this show. Like, it would be, it's like an index card or something. Like, no, they uh, were literally pulling from every piece of science fiction ever made in the past 30 years. I mean, everything was grafted on um, here yeah. and there and so just, I, I just, just thrown into a, it was like a mix, you know, it was like a mixed toss salad. Of science fiction tropes. Yeah, but even if it's der- like der- the fact that it's derivative is- isn't necessarily the problem. It's just that, like, I mean, that's a problem. But a-, a bigger problem to my mind is that I just I don't know what's possible and what isn't in this universe. Or like, you know, it's like the what was it the the guard? I forget what it's called the Galactic Guard or whatever. Infinity it's Guard. Like the Infinity Guard. Now they're wait they're all working for the Lord Commander now, and then I don't. It's yeah. just like nothing. You know, nothing. I just don't have a sense. Yeah, I, that's my problem. I don't have a sense of what's what's possible and what's not mm-hmm. in this universe. And so, like, the stakes feel. I don't know what the stakes are really of anything. Yeah, well, you just uh, you're just along for the ride as opposed to investing in it. Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Tom? Well, especially there was like episode eleven. There was uh, there was it was just really frenetic and very surreal. Um, 
there was just all kinds of bizarre stuff going on. The only which thing which one was of, that? Episode eleven. Uh, that was the one where mom is. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm just like looking at my notes. I don't, I don't hundred percent remember what episode it was, but I remember the one thing that tied it together was that Clarence was, uh, kept, sh- kept shifting skins. There was like a, there was like a, he was like a snake rat. Yeah. Speaking of point. like not knowing what's possible in this universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that one really just kind of uncorked everything where I was like, okay, so Clarence is actually a snake rat wearing a costume and. He's like all these different things. And I, I was just like, okay, I've completely lost touch with what's going on. And uh, and they kind of brought it back together at the end. But then I was like, okay, you brought it back together. But why couldn't you just cross this episode out and like not not go through all that? Yeah, I totally agree. See, now, see, Robert, I'm turning into you now. Now I'm getting all bitter and angry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for throwing that in there. And, and I don't mean bitter and angry in a derogatory sense. Right, of course. <laughs> you don't mean dead inside in a, in a derogatory way. I get, I get it. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean that in a totally neutral way. Um, I guess I'll also just note, I mean, this kind of goes along with my no worlds building thing. But, um, you know, I went back and listened to our disenchantment um, panel that we were all on. And um, and I was complaining in Disenchantment that there was no really no social political commentary. Um, there was no like references to obscure science fiction or like just geeky references really to anything. Um, and I, I feel like that's kind of the case here. There's like there's not really like I like the characters a lot and it's funny to watch them interact with each other. But there's not really anything to think about while you're watching this show. It doesn't really engage my brain particularly. And, you know, that that was that's another thing I would I would just want to see is just you know because the reason I watch science fiction is because I want to think about things I want to consider weird new societies and ideas I never concepts I haven't considered before and things and you know I'll contrast this with I, I made a, I'll just I made a couple of notes so like some of the things that some of the episodes of Futurama I really liked for example is you know there's like this mind switching this mind swapping machine but then once two people have swapped minds they can't swap back. There's this episode with a 10-second time machine where you can go back in time, but only 10 seconds. Um, there's a time machine that only goes forward in time, and so once you start using it, you can't get back to where you started. Wow. Um, and then in Rick and Morty, there's um, there are these aliens, and they pretend to be your friends, and they implant fake memories into your head to make you think that you've known them your whole life, even though they just showed up. So there's like, you know... And those are you know, cartoons, they're funny and everything, but they have like these ideas where I'm like, holy shit, that's a really cool idea. And um, Final Space, it needs more like, like ideas, you know, it needs more something, you know what something they, conceptual. It, it a, you know what they yeah. need? They need an actual science fiction writer. Ah. Are you for hire? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's really <laughs> cold here and I'm starting to think LA sounds like a good idea. It's a surprisingly <laughs> consistent theme of our panels how much we they need us. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. This, that's not, this that's is not right. the first time that's come up. But but Tom, you were you were about to say something. Well, there uh, was there were a few ideas that I really did like in this series that I was like, okay, they actually because at first I was like you, I was like, there's no like ideas here. It's just all like, hey, look at these people who are in space and they're doing silly things. But there was um the whole idea of is it Ava? and Hugh stuck in the same body I thought was pretty cool like that they're really attracted to each other and then they and then she like downloads into his body with him and he's like oh I'm I'm friends with myself without benefits that was pretty (laughs) funny 
But I thought it was really cool how, like, they nobody knew that they were in the same body. Like, they are like, let's not tell anybody. And then they were, like, she was finding out things that she could do with his body that he never knew he could do. Like, oh, I can fly? I never knew that. She's like, shh, quiet. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Like, two consciousnesses in the same body in love with each other and, like, who gets to drive. And I, I don't know. I thought that was a neat concept. And I think there were a few other concepts like that throughout the show that were kind of fun to me. Yeah, I actually thought the show would have benefited a little if they had just answered the question of why the Infinity Guard would have uh, sided with Lord Commander. Like, what was going on in the society that would make them suddenly go for uh, the wacko? Gee, there's some relevance there to our current situation, yeah. isn't there? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was kind of just thrown out there, wasn't it? That was kind of bizarre. Yeah, it was just like they're on his side now. And we don't know why, and it doesn't. They don't seem to be getting anything out of it because their home planet has been destroyed. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he mind controlled them, but they, I don't think they ever really explained that. Right. They don't explain a lot of things. <laughs> it's just kind of like, well, here it is. And like I said, that I, I was just like, there was so much of that. I was just like, all right, fine, whatever. Because there was at one point right at the beginning where I was like, I kind of like was rewinding. <laughs> I'm using an old word, but I was going. I was. To, to try and figure out what the hell was going on. And after a while, I was just like, oh, fuck this shit. Just, <laughs> I'm just, I gotta go. I gotta watch. And you there, know? There I are, gave up. There are three, yeah, there are three episodes, at least, that are just, that are mostly hallucinations. And it just, yeah. it just, yeah. it just goes from one wacky image to another until finally Gary learns something and then the episode is pretty much over. And <laughs> so that, that is part of this issue where it's just, you know, very cool visuals, but, uh, as David said, not not much to really like think about or expand your understanding of things or understanding of these characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'll just my other note here about the visuals is that there are like no, there's like no visual humor in the show almost at all in terms, you know, like in I don't know in Futurama or something they might go to a spaceport and there would just be a sign in the background that was kind of funny or something, you know. Like I don't remember anything. Like if you were just to watch this with no sound, there's almost nothing that's funny to look at no. um, maybe some of the slapstick stuff i guess but you know it, there's not and there's not really a reason to re-watch the episodes either like you know there's not like just stuff going on in the background where like oh i didn't catch that the first time but now unless i'm maybe i just missed stuff but it, it doesn't i'm not like as and i i enjoyed particularly as i said i enjoyed season two just fine but i don't think i would go back and rewatch it because i feel like i i kind of got everything that there was to get the first yeah. time through yeah. That's an interesting point. Most a lot of times people will complain that the humor was about a, a comedy show was too many sight gags and uh not enough verbal humor, but that I've never heard that complaint before, but now that you say it you're right. I don't I don't remember I was trying to think of sight gags I saw and I don't remember yeah. any. Throwaway jokes. There were no throwaway jokes. Yeah. And and it's it's you know I, you know, and now I'm now I'm like I said, I'm getting all bitter and angry. But I mean, I was really I was pretty I was pretty into the show by the end of season two. And I, you know, I do really like the characters. I mean, you know, I don't know, like like and I, I can I mean, there's and the, like the, the, the visuals of the characters are really good and are really appealing. And I can imagine, you know, like it's the kind of thing I would want to get a like a little Kato, uh like bumper sticker or something. You know what I mean? There's there's something really you know, just, just grabby about those characters and, mm -hmm. you know, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, there's a lot to like in the show. Um, 
Could I mention the thing about Little Kato that I brought up earlier when we were talking about season one, real quick? The sure. episode where um, Little Kato gets stuck in the time warp and ends up living 60 years on the other side of the ship. Uh, yeah. That made me think a lot of the final light, or excuse me, the inner light, excuse me, uh, in Star Trek Next Generation, which is where Picard mm-hmm. lives another man's life. I, I wrote that note down as yeah. I was watching it. I was <laughs> exactly. so I was so intrigued by that. I really I liked the way it was handled. Uh, I the whole thing where he was talking to his father, but really yeah. he was typing out the dialogue. I mean, I I really was into that episode, and and I remember when he comes back and it turns out that he remembers the sixty years. I said, oh wow, like there are we really we're we're gonna do this where you know this is. This is going to be an old, angry, lonely six-year-old man in a kid's body. And the very first scene of the very next episode, he's back to being like, hey, we're going to zap the guys and save the universe. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so we abandoned this amazing development we had. This is way more interesting than all the other developments. I was really into that and then kind of bummed that they didn't follow through on that. Um, Although, sorry, to to, to tack on to what David said. Yeah, I think I, I, I was a little more positive the last couple episodes just because I, I like some of the action and I I kind of hope that if they're going to do season three they really stick to the their commitment to like having it be in this final space realm I think they you know the writers and maybe even the producers might be tempted to say like uh, let's come up with some loophole where they go back to earth and have a you know an awkward date episode or something you know like but to me like if you're gonna if the, you know this season ends with them going to final space so let's make season three really, really weird and wacky and, and maybe ad- address some of the originality issues that you, you all were raising, um, you know? Yeah, well, well speaking of um, ideas that they raise that don't get picked up, I mean, there was this part where, um, where, where Gary says to his mom, you know, like, how can you be working for this evil space god, basically? And she's like, no, you're the one who's working for the evil space god. And I was like, whoa, phew, mind mm-hmm. blown, you know? And, um, and that's like more interesting than anything else that happens in the show. The idea that, you know, they don't know which one is the evil space God and, uh, or maybe both of them. And, and, you know, and, and they have to deal with that, you know, and, and it seems like, and that could totally come back. I mean, um, even though I guess they did let Bolo out of his cage and everything, but, um, you know, but yeah, if, if, if they're going to go with what Robert's saying and, and make it more in the, the realm of the evil space gods in final space, um, the idea of that you, you know, you just don't know which of them to trust, if, if any of them. Uh, I mean, you can make the whole show about that. I, I, you know, um, and that's again, like I was saying, I mean, just much more interesting than just kind of, uh, you know, warmed over Futurama kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, uh, let's see. We're pretty much out of time. I don't know if I have any other notes here. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll just throw it open. Oh wait, I had I did have some listener comments. Let's see. What are the, what are the listener comments? Uh, Amin Fuladi says, "Watched season one on Netflix and absolutely loved it. Been waiting for season two ever since." Uh, David Machalik, I haven't seen it, but I know Olin Rogers is involved, so it's on my list to watch eventually. Uh, McKinney Edwards says, "I would classify it as being on the mildly entertaining side. I bought season one on iTunes and don't regret it, but probably won't buy further seasons." Uh, Serge Boyvin says, I don't know about the U.S., but here in Canada, it's on Netflix. It's on my list after I finished Future Man. Um, and Linda Bond says, I'd never heard of it and now just realized it's 
on free-to-air SBS Viceland in Australia. Um, so it sounds like if you're pretty much anywhere except the United States, you can watch it for free. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you're outside the United States, you might as well give it a shot if this sounds interesting to you. Uh, you don't have to pay anything. We all had to buy it on iTunes. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I mean, I like to do my part, as I said, to support science fiction humor. And, uh, you know, there was enough... Uh, enough stuff to like in here that I, I'm not sorry I watched it. Uh, probably won't watch season three um, unless I hear good things, you know, good things about it. But I, I don't know. I mean, the, the every, you know, every episode, the, I mean, the theme music's great. Every episode when the theme music would be playing in the mm -hmm. intro, I'd be like, Oh, I'm kind of like excited to watch this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's like ingredients there, you know, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they can, uh, you know, make everything work um but uh but it's like it's you know at the moment i i can't there's just in the show right now there's nothing to make me say to anyone oh you gotta watch this you know the way that i would about rick and morty or something um but i wouldn't discourage if any if you know if you've watched rick and morty and you want to watch another cartoon in a similar vein i mean i wouldn't discourage you from watching this at all um but yeah i mean that's what the show needs is just some reason some really compelling something really compelling about it to, to make you watch it. Um, you know, not just kind of like likable characters having adventures. I, I just think it science fiction needs more than that. Um, all right. I think, but why they, don't we... I think overall they need a science fiction writer. I will put that out there again, guys, hire a science fiction writer. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, um, Rick and Morty, apparently they have a, a real hardcore science fiction reader, um, on the writing team. And you can definitely tell, you know, you can definitely tell, uh, that, that that makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. I got to agree. I, I I didn't really I hadn't really thought of that. But when you when you guys started talking about that, how it needs more ideas, I think yeah, the kind of thing that would make you kind of stay awake at night and think like, well, how would that work? Like that's crazy. Like th there isn't really much of that in there. Uh, and it would. You're right. It would it would benefit a lot from a science fiction writer just sitting down and saying, well, have you ever maybe we could do an episode about this this kind of idea. Although that you know, like you, like the the little Kato gets stuck in the time warp kind of thing was was sort of that kind of thing. Like, oh, what if you were a, what if you were a sixty year old person trapped in a in a kid's in a teenage kid's body? Like that, like you said, that was kind of a cool idea that they didn't run with. But uh, but yeah, if they had a lot more of that kind of kind of mind bending stuff in there, then it might be a lot cooler. I'm just reminded, Tom, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you and I went to Clarion, the Clarion Writers Workshop together in 1999, right. and one of our uh, instructors was James Morrow, yeah. and he said offhandedly one time that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is just funny and doesn't offer serious commentary or anything like that, yes. and I like... And we had a conversation afterwards where I, I 100% disagree with that. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, like the president is, uh, you know, is this sort of vainglorious fool, and um, and and, and the, the whole, the whole, and I like the um the BBC radio drama version the best, so that's the one I yeah. would recommend people check out. Um, yeah, but but it, and and it just captures to me the whole thing just captures to me more than better than anything I've ever experienced just the, the the absurdity of the universe and how nothing makes sense and how people have all of these um you know pretensions and all these expectations and and the universe just doesn't care at all and and nothing works out the way that you think it should um yeah. 
So I guess I don't know, Tom, if there's anything you want to say about uh, about what um, Final Space could learn from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in terms of uh, you know just feeling a little bit more weighty in the context of this sort of goofy science fiction milieu. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I, I think I've I think you and I have discussed also how uh, how Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy people always people always malign it for not having a plot or for being plotless, but my argument is that it has a very serious metaphysical plot, which is that it starts out with this guy who's got no kind of uh, no kind of he's just totally feckless, and then he ends up. Uh, and he can't, you know, the universe is always throwing all this crap at him that he can't deal with, and it always he's so, like, nerve-wracked at the beginning. And then by the end, because the universe keeps throwing all this stuff at him, he just kind of learns to rise above it and be like, I am, just screw all of this stuff. Like, I am going to learn to fly because it's so absurd. Like, I'm going to learn to fly without a plane. And he, he just kind of masters it until at the end he's kind of this confident-in-his-own-skin person. And maybe... Final Space could learn something from that in terms of, like, figure out who Gary is. Is he, does he not give a crap about anybody except his friends and he just doesn't care if anybody else dies and his friends are cool with that? I, I don't know. That just feels kind of wrong to me in some way. Like, is he, you know, they, they say, <laughs> I'm going to go back to this again, Andrea. They say you should have a save the cat moment at the beginning of your. <laughs> I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to keep bringing up the film school references, but. Uh, they say you should have a save the cat moment at the beginning of your movie where you show the, the hero save a random cat that he doesn't have to save to show the hero is somebody you could root for. And I think Gary is, Gary is a person his friends could root for, but heaven help you if you're not one of his friends. So the audience can't really root for the guy because you're like, oh, if this guy saw me on the street and, and had to, had to like get a key or something and I was in the way and it meant like he could casually just kill me, he would. So so it's hard to root for a guy like that. Maybe if they like went on some kind of metaphysical plot with him where they're like let's shift him somehow into somebody that you could actually I don't know, maybe if they could kind of pay more attention to that, figure out what his ground is, figure out what the character's ground is and and just kind of make it feel more real that way even if everything else is insane, at least make it feel more real internally to the characters. Um I don't know, now I feel like I'm just kind of bullshitting, but but I feel like no. it's I feel like it's no, something I, like that. I agree with that 100%. I mean, yeah, the 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 issue is is like who is Gary and why should we care? And mm-hmm. um yeah, and 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 you know, the whole this whole two seasons has basically been about him rescuing Quinn and that's been his goal and so now he has. And so this is as good a time as any to sort of reset his character and be like, so wait, who is this person and what is his goal now and who is he going to be moving forward and yeah and just yeah have have him have a goal that makes sense and is consistent with his character and that he cares about and um you know and and let the like i mean and as i said they started doing this you know to a substantial extent so far but but offload the like goofy wacky sociopathic stuff that doesn't fit his character at all off onto the other characters and just uh you know let him be the hero and um you know let him be the emotional center of the story it's what it seems like to me it should do yeah yeah uh all right cool so uh yeah we're pretty much out of time so why don't we wrap things up there 
Um, Robert, I guess so. Robert, do you have any uh, any final thoughts? Anything you want to add? Uh, do you want to hear my impersonation of Tribor? Yeah, sure. So Tribor starts every sentence with a question and then answers it. So every time he appeared toward the end, I was like, "Is Tribor annoying? He is." <laughs> <laughs> so that was <laughs> that was where I got with Tribor. I, I like the fact that he was competent, though, toward the end. That was actually kind of enjoyable to see him actually, like, get his act together. But there you go. There's my there's my final um, – I, I, and one more thing. There's something inspirational about the show because the way it came about. I mean, this is someone who had this project he was working on and, and um, you know, got it in with a major network. And, like, there's yeah. a lot to learn from that. And, and um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. So there you go. It kind of reminded me of the THX 1138 uh, story. A little seven-minute uh, project becomes an actual movie. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I listened to some interviews with Owen Rogers, and I mean, he seems very sincere. It seems like he cares a lot. It seems like he put a lot of work into this, so I feel a little bad dumping on it as much as I have. But, um, you know, I just hope that it can, you know, it's obvious that this isn't cynical. It's not you know, just like focus groups. It's like obvious that he has passion and, uh, you know, he says he has a plan for six seasons. So, um, you know, if each season improves as much as season two did over season one, uh, this could be, this could be really great. And, you know, I just hope, uh, you know, that passion you know pays off and he's able to, and I, I, like I said, he's, you know, new to television and everything, I, you know, so, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm pulling for him. I hope that the show, you know, lives up to his, uh, his evident passion. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. It's, it's, it's a triumph just to get where he is right now. And he's, uh, and I, I don't mean this in a condescending way. He's, he seems like a very young artist and a young writer. Um, and he's kind of learning as he goes, it seems to me. Um, and we've, the character in the show changed a lot between season one and season two. So hopefully um, it continues to grow and becomes a, a real success for him. Yeah. There, there's Absolutely. me being a condescending old old lady um, to this nice guy, <laughs> somebody who seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Andrea Kale, Tom Grenzer, and Robert Rapino. So thanks everyone so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thanks. Thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Andrea Kale, Tom Gerenser, and Robert Rapino for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.